waiting for me because I'm smoking weed? <laughs> no. I was just waiting for somebody to say something. I'm smoking weed. I'm smoking weed. She's smoking weed. I know. Weed. We're supposed to start with our general chatter, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, I do have general chatter. I just realized that my ex, when he was catfishing me, basically was like, oh, instead of going to this bar, it might be closed. Why don't you meet me at my apartment? Do you think he was going to kill me? I think he was going to profess his undying love for you. I mean, it was him. It was him pretending to be someone much hotter. If you had shown up and it was his apartment, would you have known it was his apartment? Or has he moved since you dated? So he lived at home when we dated. So So you wouldn't have known. I would not have known. Do you think you would have been murdered? I don't know, but what a fun way to go out. Like getting catfished by your likes. I don't know. I don't think he could like murder me though. No, I think he would have just like yelled at you for three straight hours. Uh, please. I would have fucking clocked him. <laughs> Wait, did you confirm that it's him? Well, so I know that whoever was messaging me, they were not using their own pictures. And he kept asking about my ex, refused to give me his cell phone number, probably because I have it blocked. (laughs) (laughs) And you would have known. (laughs) I'm not sure I understand the desire to catfish. Oh, I've done it. Oh, I've done it too. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) are we in an an episode of The Circle right now? (laughs) Okay, I did it as like a child. I mean, a, not a child, but yeah. as like a teenager. Like I, I haven't done it as a grown, a gay person. I was straight then, and <laughs> I, he was going to say grown adult, and then he said grown gay. <laughs> I did because I, I want to make it clear that it was not me, but it was me. I was my body was being catfished at the time, so it was a whole other thing. But I did like a an aim screen name to like one of my friends who's my friend now, but I wanted to see if she liked me, and I like made a screen name. It was called Cal Green Moo, and um. So they call my friends call me Cal Green Moo. Wait, I have a couple of questions. Did you ever associate pictures with a profile? No, it was an AIM screen name. But I said I was the guy that she liked. Like I said, I was another kid that we knew. Yeah, that's like, that's a tough game. Why was his screen name be Cal Green Moo? It was a lot. And, and it, we ended up, um, well, actually we're friends. I was at her wedding two years ago. I thought you were going to say, actually, we fucked. (laughs) No, we never did. It was a girl. This is when I was, I thought I was, that's like a lot of energy. That's why I genuinely do think I was kind of straight. Because like, that's a lot, right? Like, why would I do all of that to get her to like me? And then be like, I don't even fucking like you. I'm not attractive enough to be catfished. (laughs) I know. No, I do think that that's giving straight energy, to be honest. I know a lot of guys, I get catfished constantly on Grindr and stuff, 100%. I have the other issue, but we're not going to get into that right now. We're going to what, Kirk? Carry the motherfucker on. <laughs> okay. Welcome back, everybody, to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where queer and questionable, politically engaged millennials talk about topics and unpack them through the lens of anxiety, depression, politics, insurrection, and everything in between. And I'm Paul Warren, the host of this podcast, but joining me, you already heard their voices. Um, He's still evading the FBI one year after the storming of the Capitol. He's our editor-in-chief and commander-in-chief, Andrew Nagy. What's your drink of choice tonight? Don't give up my name to the FBI if anyone's listening to this. (laughs) 
I'm drinking an athletic brewing company, Hazy IPA, which is a non-alcoholic beer because I'm not drinking this month. Oh, are you doing dry January? Well, I mean, partially. I started on Monday. (laughs) I agree with that. (laughs) I will be honest. New Year's to me started on Monday. So that's totally fair. Well, welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Happy to have you back. And he's taken more loads this month than your dishwasher has since the onset of the pandemic. Kirk Wilson, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, my God. I have a joke there, actually. It's not, you always know, get it, but I tried to hook up with a dishwasher, not a physical like appliance, but like a, a man who washed dishes <laughs> after a wedding this past summer. So that's what went through my mind. So um, I'm drinking apple juice <laughs> because either I am or I'm not bottoming tonight. I don't know. <laughs> either cleaning it out or um, something else. <laughs> not fermented. And with the mention of Kirk's loads and apple juice, uh, she just broke the record for the fastest wretch. And let's unpack that history. She's the OG co-host of this podcast. Erica Ellis, what's in your cup? Oh, my God. First of all, don't forget, I'm the fucking OG. You fucking Michelle Kelly. (laughs) Paul's what? I can't even remember the bitch's name. But regardless, I this is a really dry podcast. I'm also not drinking. Because I have acid reflux and I want to enjoy my life. So I'm having water. (laughs) Dear God. Well, I mean, I'm only having like a truly citrus punch because there was nothing else. And I got really high last night and it was bad. So legally high, I should say. It was the Delta (laughs) 8. And I am not asking for their sponsorship because that is the devil's juice. I'm asking. (laughs) (laughs) I know a couple twinks here who can get them for you pretty easily. (laughs) So for today's episode, we're just really going to focus on a single topic, a single headline, but honestly, one that's more of a reflection than anything. At the time you're listening to this, we have just passed the one year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, where a mob of Republican voters stormed the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And one year later, we're here to unpack where we stand today. We're going to talk about what happened, the consequences that followed, the dynamics in Washington, and the implications that this has on the right to vote overall. But just to bring in a more human perspective, to bring in a more sort of like not political, not pundit side of things, I think it's important for us, as this was something that I think caused us to reflect on a lot throughout the last year. It was something we kept coming back to in this podcast. It's something I've come back to on my Instagram, in my personal life, when I'm talking to people who are sort of in the middle. It's just like, what was that like? What were those moments you know, that stuck out in those two, three, four hours where the Capitol was under siege? And then what were those moments that happened afterwards, you know, where It was late at night. They came back to certify the results and then all the coverage that followed the next day. So I want to start with that as sort of our first section, and then we'll get into some of the the real world consequences. But Andrew, I'll start with you. What is one of the memories that you have about January 6th that stands out? Just to put kind of our listeners back into that frame of mind. The biggest thing that I remember is it was, of course, in the middle of a workday and everything stopped. I was not getting any emails. I was not getting any IMs. There were no notifications on my computer. It it felt like everybody collectively stopped working. 
which is insane for a Fortune 500 company for literally nothing to be happening. And we were at a really busy time for us too. Paul, I'm sure you experienced that as well because we work at the same place. Like the only thing I was doing was watching the news in real time and texting you guys, basically. It was. It was so bizarre. I don't think I got another email for the rest of the day, honestly. And I think the company we work for even maybe put out a statement like the next day or maybe even that night just about halting political contributions or you know recognizing that this is a serious attack on democracy. And I do remember feeling like something could happen, like something could be different if corporations held our politicians accountable. Like, wow, maybe things would really change. And I don't know that that happened, but that is definitely one of my memories too, of just kind of all stopping and the silence of it. Erica, what about you? What's uh, a memory that you have of that day? Besides a dude trying to get me to go watch it together at his house. (laughs) (laughs) Never fails. Um, I was texting a friend of mine and we had gone to the protests in June of 2020. And we were saying like how crazy it was to think that less than six months ago, we were buying water bottles and getting like extra towels and literally preparing to get gassed just to walk down, you know, the art museum boulevard. And she texted me and she was like, I can't believe we went through all of that. And these guys are just carte blanche running through the Capitol. And they probably, that wasn't even a thought in their head. So that was just like that conversation with her, I think is very present in my mind. Yeah. I remember that too. That's actually like one of my memories as well of just sort of being like on the day that or the day after, I should say, like black voters came out in droves to elect two senators in Georgia and all of the organizers that people did in Georgia. Like we got no time to celebrate that. We got no time to enjoy what that was. And I remember people immediately making comparisons to the BLM protest. Um, And my memory specifically is um, an Instagram post by Tommy Laren that was a screenshot of her tweet Um, and it said, I am very disappointed in the acts of destruction and lawlessness at the Capitol today, but for liberals to act like they are suddenly so appalled and disgusted by chaos and protest is the biggest load of bullshit. Y'all love this kind of thing and worse all summer. Save your crocodile tears. And the reason that that is one of my memories is because I remember seeing the people in my life who liked that tweet and liked that photo because it went viral on Instagram. And I just remember realizing that through the Trump election in 2016 and the Trump presidency, but then really through the presidential debates, through the pandemic, that first sort of wave and second wave of the pandemic. Actually, I think it was the third wave at that point. But through those pieces of the pandemic, I realized that I had just lost family members that I would never get back. And I almost had comfort and resolve in that because in my mind, if you look at people storming a Capitol because they didn't like the results of an election and having a temper tantrum about it versus 
people protesting the death of an unarmed black person by the police and people protesting racial inequality, then we don't live in the same reality. And I'm not sure we ever will be able to live in the same reality. And that tweet stands out in my mind because I think that's just when I decided that I was done trying to force relationships with people who were too far gone, that it wasn't worth the energy anymore. And that's not to say that I'm going to stop using my voice. It was just that these people were never going to hear my voice, no matter what I said or how I said it. And it was sad, but not at the same time. It was just affirming of what I had been feeling for the last year or so at that point. So Kirk, what about you? What's your memory of January 6th? Besides, of course, working for Kim Gulfoyle that day. <laughs> While she was dancing backstage. I'll say my actual memory, but I memory I do have of that. I, anyone who watches Real Housewives of New York, Dorinda Medley had posted like the scathing like reaction to her. It was like Dorinda watching this crazy backstage video of Kimberly Guilfoyle and Donald Trump Jr. and Melania and all of them like literally dancing, having a party while he's on stage speaking. And then while he's that's done and the instruction is beginning, which is really interesting now to think about given the text that they had sent, or at least we know Donald Trump Jr. had sent that day. But what I remember the most, I mean, the same kind of thing. I mean, I do remember sitting in like, I mean, I will or I will or I won't compare it to a 9-11, but people in terms of, you know, the stopping of, of our country, what it felt like, like we were so young when that happened, obviously, but I remember people saying they saw it play out. I didn't see it live play out as we were in school, but like this was very much like, because we're working from home, we're on our computers and your TV's on all day. And you're just like, it, I just like feel like I went from my computer screen slowly to my TV screen. And then my computer no longer mattered. And I was just in front of my computer screen all day. And it was like, I remember like exchanging one text with my manager or like my team and, and all of us just being like, yeah, I think we're just done for the day. Part of my, I mean, working in communications and whatever at a company, like, I mean, there was conversations, Paul, kind of what you mentioned about like, do we say something internally? Do they say something? Do, and that obviously happened the next day, but it was very, I remember the day going on forever and then starting to drink. And then obviously the iconic photo of that woman who people thought she was in the Capitol, but she was not. What do they call her? Antifa, the woman, but she's actually like in Kansas or some random state. By the time this comes out, I'm sure it'll have already been past the sixth, but right now it's the fourth. And I hope that on the sixth, I remember like, and they still do it, but I remember growing up and every 9-11 there was, they would like replay audio from, I think it was the Today Show or one of the big network shows where they started the morning. And I think Katie Kirk or somebody says like, it's a beautiful morning in New York City. And it's like 35 minutes before this all starts happening. I hope there's like something like that to just like set the tone of like, you know, this was a normal day in DC and like, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that there's some sort of like parallel because as we treat 9-11, like we should, that the way we do, we should treat this in a similar fashion. I hope it's just not something that that's not mentioned, but it's, you know, it's hard because it's an attack from within the country, from within literally the government, which we're learning now is, is a fact that it was not just random Americans. It was people who work for the government having a play in this. So that's what I remember. Yeah. An interesting, maybe not comparison, like you said, but a reference to 9-11. Just in that you did watch it play out. It felt surreal. It didn't make any sense. But at the same time, it made total sense. The weird thing is that we also, if we were smart enough, we would have known that this was happening. I just think that we should not have been as surprised as we were, right? Like people were talking about a coup. People were talking about an insurrection. People were making posts that it was going to happen and sort of like 
how to prepare and how to prevent one. So it is interesting as a reference point of just that sort of shock and the fear when the country just sort of stops and halts. But it's also like, why were we so unprepared? Why weren't there more Capitol Police there? And we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. But just wanted to kind of set the tone here in the first segment of the episode by doing a, a quick reflection. So when we come back, we will talk about a couple things, but mainly kind of where we're at now, one year later from the January 6th insurrection. And after some wild and weird technical issues, we are back. So uh, we're going to unpack the insurrection now one year later. And I will start by just reading a little excerpt from an article from The Hill. One in three Americans say it could sometimes be justified for citizens to take violent action against the government in a new poll, up significantly from previous years. The poll from the Washington Post University of Maryland published Saturday found that 40% of Republicans said violent actions could be justified, compared with 23% of Democrats and 41% of independents. Overall, 62% of respondents said violence was never justified and 4% either had no opinion or answered justified, but said in a follow-up question that they did not think the violence was justified. Really accurate and precise polling here. But so I think that I wanted to start by reflecting on this particular data point, just for a moment. Of course, it's just one poll, one piece of data, but there's varying pieces of data that would suggest that this is a new reality for our country, that there are more people who are comfortable with violence. And there is most definitely some components of January 6th that play a role in that, just in that they saw violence carried out. It was unsuccessful, But the consequences largely have not been that severe. I think it still is a little shocking to me that uh, 23% of Democrats would say that violence is sometimes justified, but 43% of Republicans is that Republican base that we talk about, right? Whether that data is actually 30% of Republicans, whether it's 50% of Republicans, it's a large portion of the Republican voter base that believes that in order to get their policy done, they may need to conduct violence acts against the government or take matters into their own hands. So for me, it's a bit of a sad reflection um, with what's happened since January 6th and that it's continued to get worse. I think I was reading another statistic today that in like, you know, the year 2000, when there was like a real chance that like Al Gore was actually cheated out of the election, you know, it was just one state and there was all that weird stuff in that county in Florida, like 15% of people believe that the election results were invalidated compared with 30% of adults now believe that the 2020 election was invalidated for something that we know has absolutely no proof versus what happened in Florida actually has a lot of proof behind it. So I guess, Andrew, I want to turn to you specifically as we're talking about the capital consequences, people enjoying violence now within their politics. Like, what do we know about how this was organized? And where are we sort of with consequences against people who have stormed the Capitol. Yes. So over 700 people have been charged with crimes in relation to the insurrection, and authorities are still searching for another 350. Um, What's funny about all this is a lot of those people were turned in by coworkers and family members and friends and ex-partners. And a lot of them kind of turned themselves in by going live on Instagram and Facebook and 
live streaming their fun little day at the Capitol or posting videos and photos of themselves later or just outright bragging about it on social media. The most common charge is for illegally entering restricted areas of the Capitol, along with hundreds of the rioters also being charged with many lower level offenses like illegal picketing and disorderly conduct. And I'm going to keep calling them rioters because this is not a court of law. We can call them whatever the fuck we want to call them. Your friends, (laughs) your family. Kirk. No, I said his friends. Oh, and she took it up a notch. Oh my God. The FBI for sure listens to us, of course. Yeah. A smaller subset of rioters have been charged with or have or are having cases built against them for more serious crimes like theft, assault, property destruction, and conspiracy against the United States. About 275 rioters were charged with obstructing, influencing, or impeding the electoral vote certification, and those charges carry up to 20 years in prison, which is pretty hefty. A lot of the other charges are misdemeanors. They're not felonies. They don't carry uh, quite as heavy prison sentences, but there are a good number of people who are getting charged with some serious time or could at least face serious time in sentencing. Uh, 75 rioters are accused of assaulting police officers with weapons. 94 rioters have been linked to extremist groups like the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, and the Oath Keepers militia groups. 81 current and former military service members have been charged, as well as at least 16 of the rioters arrested are current or former law enforcement officers, all of who have quit or lost their jobs on the forces that they were on. So far, over 160 defendants have made guilty pleas, and about 70 have been sentenced so far. More are going to be sentenced in the coming months. I think April is when a lot of the other trials are going to kick off. Of course, the pandemic um, has slowed things down substantially, and just the scale and the scope of this investigation is enormous. There are so many, so many people that are being charged and being looked for. I mean, we've already gone through the numbers. Over a thousand people have either been caught and charged or are the federal authorities are searching for them. So I think the rest of the data is really fascinating to look at, and I think everyone should check it out. I got this from a CBS News article called January 6th, Capitol Riot, one year later. So look it up, check out the demographic information and some of the other data they have. It's really fascinating. The takeaways for me on this are it's really interesting to see how the mob dynamic played out. I don't think there was too much advanced planning from the crowd as a whole. I think Trump and his his associates like Rudy Giuliani kind of had the fuck around um, attitude, like, let's see what happens. I'm not sure they really wanted this to happen or not. I don't think we can really know, but they were certainly not trying to make sure it didn't happen, especially with Rudy Giuliani's language calling for armed combat and saying things like that, you know, and then everybody marched down to the Capitol. Trump said, go march down to the Capitol and I'll meet you there, which of course he didn't and left everyone high and dry. But what is interesting is groups like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters and the Proud Boys, a lot of them are actually being charged in conspiracy cases. So groups of them are being charged 
altogether. And the government is alleging that those groups planned a lot of this in advance and actually were the agitators on the ground that made the mob do what they did. It's possible that without these extremist groups there at the Capitol that day, that people would have gone down to the Capitol and just stood there and protested and yelled and shouted and maybe thrown some things and some fights might have broken out, but they might not have breached the building itself. And it's very possible that those extremist groups were the ones that were in the crowd and and working together to to whip the crowd up into a frenzy and and push them forwards. And once mob mentality takes over, that's what happens. There's a really good uh, 40-minute documentary that the New York Times did back in June called Day of Rage, How Trump Supporters Took the U.S. Capitol. I think all of us have watched that. It's extremely good to watch. It has footage that I've never seen on any other news outlet. They have angles I've never seen before. The footage the day of was pretty intense, but it really doesn't show how violent it actually was. And this documentary really shows how violent it is and also showed how those extremist groups worked together in a coordinated fashion to make this happen. And my final takeaway is, ironically, one of the rioters who was sentenced, a guy named Robert Scott Palmer, really summed this whole thing up better than I could. He has admitted to assaulting police officers with a wooden plank and a fire extinguisher, and he's been given more than five years in prison. He sent a handwritten note to the judge presiding over his case saying, Trump supporters were lied to by those that are that at the time had great power, meaning the sitting president. They kept spitting out the false narrative about a stolen election and how it was our duty to stand up to tyranny. To me, this is really indicative of the entire thing. At the end of it all, those that supported Trump lined up to do battle for him and were just left alone in the cold, pitifully taking the fall for him, basically. He whipped them up. Giuliani whipped them up. And then it was these extremist groups that stepped in and finished the job and caught up all these other people who otherwise would not have ever done something like this and caused this this insurrection to happen. And that's not to say that the people on the ground there that day that broke in should not be charged. They absolutely should be charged. They still did those actions. They were still caught up in it. But I think it really shows what post-Trump were in for with these extremist groups that are they're growing stronger, they're out there, they're active, and they're doing these kinds of things. And that's what I wonder too. Like I think about it, and I don't know how white supremacist groups think this podcast is the only white supremacist thing I'm a part of. Oh. But <laughs> I'm white. Do they view this as, oh, a bunch of us got caught. We should not do anything like this next time. Or do they view it as a bunch of us got caught, but look at what we were able to do. That's just like, was very skilled on their part. Creating that mob mentality was, Andrew, as you put it, like that had to have been pre-planned or at least these are people that have the instinct to do something like that, to bring out the worst in people. And so I wonder, are they saying, well, now look at we did this little bit. What can we do next time that's even worse? Or is this an opportunity for them to even recruit more members, right? Because they've showed they're standing on the right side. Like, I don't really know, obviously, how this stuff works. And I'm sure there are people that are experts in that. But I think it's one thing that is particularly scary when we think about the organization of it and whether they think that 
you know, Trump is their savior or Trump is just a, a cog in the machine to get the type of society they want. And they can use other people, you know, moving forward, I think will be interesting to see what happens in, in future elections. And what's going to happen in the midterms? Are just a bunch of people going to be screaming about how the results are fake again? It's like, where do we go from here? You know, but Kirk, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about, you know, changes in Congress, right? Like we saw that night, more Republicans than ever before had sided and said that, yes, you know, Trump needs to be held accountable for this. There were X number of people that voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump, both within the House and then also within the Senate. There were times about talking that this was finally the end of Trump, which obviously we know that that's not true. But kind of like, what changes have you seen in Congress? Like, obviously, this hasn't allowed anybody to work together a bit better, has it? I think we'd all be kidding ourselves if we thought that that would be the outcome of this. But there was a bit more unity that day than there had been in a while because they were all scared for their life. So I was just curious about how Congress is maybe different. Yeah, I think to your point about unity, like I think that I remember watching it and seeing like there was unity in that moment, but then like after that day passed, you would think there'd be even more unity because something like that being attacked, they physically being attacked and then the country being attacked and then their roles in the government for our country, you know, not to bring back 9-11, but that I would say the months and few years after that was probably like the most patriotic our country had been and, and strong and unified across all fronts and in the government sector as well. But I think here you saw, I mean, I think when you look at Congress, I think even to this day, a year later, it's, you know, way more tense in the House than it is in the Senate. I think that I, there's, I think I forgot the number, but I think it's, there, there was only a few people in the Senate, I think that were, or that didn't vote for, um, we're talking about the impeachment, right? Like, I don't think there was, there was not that many. Yeah, I think it was unanimous. But I think as you look across the past year of the things that have, there have been things that have gotten done, right? Like there's been stuff that's happened across for Joe Biden and for the Democrats that have been a little bit more bipartisan. And I think again, more so, more so in the Senate than it is in the House. And that's somewhere, I mean, I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is while reading some of the stuff on the Washington Post, a really great article about it, but is that the actual physical fear that some of the, again, in the House mainly feel not only from outsiders now, but from people within the House. So the Democrats a few months back had got metal detectors put in and passed like on the floor for them to have when they come into Congress every day or into the House every day to make sure they're protected literally from their colleagues. Some of them quoted was saying stuff if they're, you know, and over the years, I mean, I know growing up seeing now when, you know, you watch C-SPAN or something, and you see all this stuff playing out in real time, there has definitely always been heated moments. But, you know, I think now they're thinking what what's stopping someone from running and getting a gun or running and doing this or physically attacking someone. We've seen how crazy and verbal some of these people are on social on their social media channels and, you know, now knowing what some of them did and allowed to happen that day. I think is is a weird thing, to, but it, but it's real. Like it's it's not only them getting attacked by outsiders, but then them getting attacked from the inside is something that I I think is just wild. But and I think another thing that's interesting from a continued separation between the two of Republicans and Democrats is that there are I think Republicans in the House and in the Senate, mainly the House, that might have and still do agree with a lot of the Democrats on this and a lot of other things. But Democrats, you know, are kind of painting a brush across all Republicans. And I think that then adds more tension to the Republicans that do agree with them on certain things, because you just talk about Republicans as a whole or Democrats talk about that as a whole when there are some in there that aren't fully aligned. They're not Trump Republicans. So I think that there's, you know, you see Liz Cheney and whatnot trying to speak out a bit. And then it's not obviously not perfect, but you, there's, there's, I think, not a great 
there's a separation with the Republicans as well, but then those people that agree with Democrats are now getting pissed too. So I think it's just like a lot of separation, but then at the same time, when it comes to getting stuff passed, that seems to be happening to some degree, at least in the Senate. Yeah, I wonder like certain things at least being passed from a bipartisan perspective, like obviously they believe it's in their political interest, right? To like at least be able to say, yes, I voted for this. I voted for something. I improved your life while I was there, despite the fact that I may have supported an insurrection. It is like an interesting, I think, dynamic. And I also can't imagine like going to work every day and being terrified of people. I mean, think about just like having a boss that you don't like, you know, like obviously these people have signed up for a different job, but they certainly didn't sign up for a job where like the Capitol could be stormed at any day. Like, I don't know that any of the, any of us would say like a congressperson is like signing up to make the ultimate sacrifice in the name of democracy. Like that's not what I'm voting for when I'm voting for like a congressperson. I'm voting for somebody who hopefully can reflect my interests and get a couple things done that I appreciate. And then they can move on with their career, which of course when you say that, I think of like the, the videos that we saw on the one, I know that AOC is always super, you know, expresses everything. She did that Instagram live, I think right after this, speaking in graphic detail about what had happened. And even like to this day, I mean, something happened over the holiday around her boyfriend or something. There was like a picture of him with his feet out or something. They were in Florida and then all the, a bunch of Republicans in the house where congressmen were attacking her boyfriend for having really pale feet or something. And that sounds really insignificant, stupid to this, but like, imagine to your point about like, just having a job and your coworkers, imagine like tweeting that or like posting that on social media about your coworker or your boss or like, just, it's just so constant, the constant back and forth that like, why is it treated any differently than working anywhere else? Or like, it should be treated even higher, higher, you know, whether it's serious threats or not. It's just such a weird, weird world that we're, because we see it so much now because of social media. Like we're, we're almost in those chambers with them all the time because we're seeing what they're saying online and offline that it's just become a joke. And I know we talk all the time about, you know, a lot of the Republicans that are just there to be there and they're not doing anything. And a lot of the time, those are those people that's left of Trump, the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all those people that are just there to kind of keep the base riled up and going and that's how they do it via social media but it's just i just think it's really weird when you think about it that these people are elected to do a job and then they're just like fighting each other publicly all the time it's really weird it's so in what world does that happen like it, but it's become so normal that i don't really sit and think that yeah. it's weird that much but like now thinking about it like it is but like really it is weird. weird and like your your co-workers supporting an insurrection is weird like where you like, yeah like it's it's fucking insane. Or, or even think about like your co-workers supporting your office building getting attacked that you guys were all and in. And being like, oh, it was, and a them peaceful, their job. it was a peaceful protest. And you're like, I had a panic attack that day. Like, what What in the gaslighting is that about? They tried to hang this, like, the VP. Like, you know, like, it's just really weird. It's just... They build a noose. Like, yeah. But anyway, it's just an interesting reflection. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I think the one thing, though, is, like, I think to keep watching about it is, like, it's confusing when you see bipartisan stuff get passed and then you're constantly seeing stuff on the news all the time of everyone hating each other. So I think it's just super confusing. And then people who don't follow it close enough, which I mean, I'm not saying I am one who does, but I think I do more so than I used to. But if you don't follow it close enough, then you don't really, you don't know what your person's, that you elected is doing or the people you think you're aligned with are really doing. And that's important. That's the point of the job. You just throw your hands up and say, nobody's working. Right. It's a mess. It's a circus, right? You see that all the time. People. But there is stuff happening. Yeah. 
Erica, I guess shifting back to like sort of looking outward, right? Like this, this thing was about safe and secure elections. I know it wasn't, but it was like, that's what people thought that they were protesting, like that they were going to change things. So while I go to the bathroom here, um, if you could talk a little bit about the nationwide impact, like are we seeing the elections become more safe, more secure? What is happening from a legislative standpoint? And also what impact does some of this legislation have on minority voters, which tend to vote more Democrat than Republican? Yeah, so I also love that you're like, okay, bye. Um, (laughs) Like, God forbid he listens to a Black woman talk about Black people. (laughs) Andrew, do not edit this out. I will kill you. (laughs) Uh, We're back. So I read a couple articles, but there is a think piece, and it was written by um, Cliff Albright and Latasha Brown. And I think for a little context, Latasha Brown is a part of the Black Votes Matter. I think she's very high up with Black Votes Matter. And then Cliff Albright is from Atlanta. And I think it was very apparent that Black people were the ones who swayed the election. And that was kind of always known going into it, right? Like there are so many figures where people were saying, oh, Democrats lost Georgia by this, by, you know, just an example, 15,000 in 2016, and there's 100,000 people of color. Those aren't, you know, real numbers, but that's to say that had more Black voters turned out, 2016 truly could have looked different. And then 2020 truly proved it. And so kind of following, it's been a unfortunate like barrage of all these different laws and proposed legislation that's really meant to in like Paul said to them make it a free and fair election but realistically it is to control who has the power to vote and I also think it's a little bit of a punishment to the state courts uh, because it was the state courts who during the election said no this is the case or, you know, we're in a once in a lifetime pandemic. So lines are long and we are going to make sure that people are able to vote because that's their right. And so there's been a lot of push to kind of pull away power from the states so that they no longer, the courts no longer have the power to, again, make it a free and fair election. So it's, I think Warnock said it best, where he basically pointed out to a speech to the Senate that Congress is able to bend and break rules for so many different things. But like, I think one of the things that they recently did was they raised the national debt ceiling so that we wouldn't default on our loans. Um, and all of our outstanding debts, and so we could still maintain our full faith and credit, blah, blah, blah. It goes to show that if it is something that is about this country's ability to continue on as a corporation that it is, and I know I sound super anti the man for someone who literally works for a major corporation, but that's to say it is within the power of our Congress to get things done And we saw the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act just die. 
And so it kind of, and again, this isn't even a monetary thing. This isn't, I'm sure that there's some, you know, down the line tax implications, but compared to what we spend on, you know, literally what we spend on giving snacks to soldiers in like a month would probably be, you know, the tax effect nationwide. So it's clearly not a money thing. And it's, (laughs) or it's not a matter of, you know, this is something that is going to cost us billions of dollars. And that's why we can't sign on to it. It's a matter of, we just don't want to get it done. And I think it is appalling that there are a lot of democratic senators and democratic representatives who were voted in by black voters and they can't get us the vote. They can't protect our right to vote. And it's one of those things where it's frustrating for me, both as a Democrat and as a black woman that our vote matters when you guys are in trouble, but God forbid you have it in the bag. It's like, fuck them, let's pass them on to the side and, you know, keep our corporate interests and our capitalist overlord happy. On one hand, it's unfortunate, but on the other hand, it is, I hate to say it, but I hope that it truly does bite them in the ass. Because um, I think that is the only way that they'll take the Black vote seriously. I think also, like, we've seen it in elections happen time and time again. I mean, it's scary for 20, I mean, 2022, but really for 2024, like, I think there was a, and we'd have to find the numbers, but a huge amount of people that in 2016 had voted for Barack Obama, dependent upon their demographic, but I think also amongst minorities, amongst black people as well, voted for Barack Obama and then in 2016 voted for Donald Trump, like fully, because they felt like, you know, they didn't identify with Hillary and then they also felt like Obama didn't do what he was supposed to do. So like there was, that can easily happen again in three years from now. So I think it's definitely something that's uh, concerning. And uh, to your point, though, it's almost like, fuck it, though. Like, <laughs> like it's, we, we shouldn't be used or, or using people either. And I mean, it is a fact that Joe Biden won the election because of Black women. Yes. Like, that is just a fact if you look at all the places where he needed to win and how he won and who was voting. No, I think I agree. It, like, both to your points that we do take minority voters for granted, we then don't always institute policies that benefit those communities. So I can understand why a lot of people are feeling apathetic about a Biden presidency or voting for a Democrat again, especially because it felt like we had overcome so much. Like it did not feel like we were going to win the election. It did not feel like we were going to keep the house. It did not feel like we were going to flip the Senate. And it took every single person who came out to vote in Georgia to make that happen. And then to have an insurrection the next day and to then not pass any voting rights within the first year of your term, that seems right now like it's an unfulfilled promise, you know? And I know that, you know, Chuck Schumer just came out and said, oh, by Martin Luther King Day now, we're going to, you know, have a vote on the new voting rights bill and we'll take away the filibuster if we need to. I'm like, Chuck Schumer, you gave us a September deadline for Build Back Better. You gave us a Halloween deadline. You gave us a Thanksgiving deadline. You gave us a Christmas deadline. You told us you wouldn't leave, you know, D.C. without something being passed. One, I don't need the timeline, right? Like, I don't think that that helps anybody. It gets people like us very excited when there's a date or demoralized now that we're this far in. Um, 
we try to get people that listen to this podcast, that follow us on Instagram excited. We try to talk about politics. And then if it doesn't happen and we rightfully express our disappointment, that just demotivates the entire voting block that we need to win. So like Chuck Schumer can have his MLK day. That would be a great symbolic gesture to pass some additional voting rights on MLK day. I don't know that I see that happening when that's 13 days away from when we're recording this right now. So especially because Joe Manchin came out again today and was like, I'm a little worried about the filibuster. Like it's, so it's just, it's just something I think that looking back a year later on the insurrection, on the horror that happened to know that there are thousands of people being charged. Great. Their sentences probably aren't as strong as they'd be for other people. Okay. We're doing something right. And then you look at, all right, like Congress isn't getting along. Our Congress people are traumatized. The Capitol police are traumatized. I think their resignation rate was up almost 70% compared to what it was prior years. Right. So you have all these people now multi and multiple suicides, uh, strokes and heart attacks, you know, the days after the insurrection. And then you think, you know, about all the Congress people who are traumatized. And then you think about all these voters and all these people who came out and, that, and, and, and voted because they believed that maybe something even a little bit better could happen. You know, maybe we would be able to protect the right to vote. Maybe it wouldn't be so hard that somebody wouldn't need to leave their job drive 20 minutes to a polling place, make sure that they get there before it closes, that their kids have daycare the day of. Like we could have solved some of these things if we weren't in such a close race and a tight, you know, majority in the Senate. But we haven't, like, and that's frustrating. So if the insurrection was about voting rights and we haven't passed anything to protect the right to vote, it's not a fulfilled promise, like in my mind. And I think people have a right to be frustrated. And people have a right to be like, what the fuck? And then also, there's a bunch of people in our life who have just completely forgotten about it, right? Like, where it's something I think about pretty regularly when I think about the lens of politics, that's not everybody's reality. So is continuing to investigate it and talk about it the right thing to do? Is it politically beneficial? It's, I don't know that we'll know that, you know, until it all sort of flushes itself out. Any final thoughts from anybody on the insurrection one year later. I just have to say, how wild would it be if they just ran that shit back? We would have to... <laughs> if we just have like an annual insurrection. Please don't will that into existence. <laughs> I don't know if they'll do it on the exact day because I don't think they're good with like counting and stuff, but maybe they'll do it like in 2020. If that My main concern, concern is like, regardless if Donald Trump runs or not, it's just like whoever runs, whatever, if a Democrat wins, like, they do it again. Like, I mean, it's not this, it's something else. It's just, it's just like, what do you They're, do? I mean, why would they like, stop? Like, that's, like why that's what would I, they stop? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead to my pack it up, but it's relevant to this conversation, but people still believe that this, that he won. And people also believe that this never happened. <laughs> like, it's, so what's stopping people from doing it again? I don't know. But on that note, we will be back with pack it up. All 
right, and we are back with Pack It Up. This is the segment where we highlight a person, an organization, or something in pop culture that needs to pipe it down and pack it the fuck up. My Pack It Up this week is a little bit lighter of a topic, and it's also a self-pack it up. It's a pack it up to almost everybody on this podcast as well, and almost every white gay man in America, and every person on Twitter. I am so tired of how people Where is this going? Of how people keep saying every white gay man and Andrew and you and me. I'm intrigued. Go. I'm about to say it the way I'm saying it. People need to stop saying the way that I am doing a podcast right now. Not me doing a podcast, not these, uh, what would you call them? Things that people are just sort of tweeting out into the world. You know, that people are doing like the 10 year challenge right now. It's like the 2011 and 2021 thing. Someone literally posted today, the way I look like a child in this picture. No shit. It's a 10 year challenge. You know, like, like no shit. I like, it's just, it's like, we keep. This is such a niche packet up. I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm screaming. Is that one of them? Are you getting mad that I said I'm screaming? The way that I'm screaming right now. I fear. I fear that I'm screaming. I'm screaming. The way that I'm literally screaming right now. <laughs> As I said something like this probably every hour in text. <laughs> and I have said it too. And I think it applies in certain situations. But if you just like scroll through a white twink's Twitter feed, it's like... <laughs> Not me getting drunk on New Year's. What else What else are you supposed to do on New Year's? <laughs> like, not me bottoming for the fifth time this week. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? All you have to do is say, I can't believe I bottomed five times this week. Not me. The way that I was a child when I said that. And you know what I'll say back to it? I'll comment in all caps. This. Like, it's just, it's so... <laughs> exactly. Like... <laughs> Not me looking like a child. No shit! You're 21 and you were 11 in that photo. You're a child. If for some reason, the internet vernacular, a lot of which I do believe is stolen from like the African-American vernacular English, which like I think is a totally separate conversation. This I'm just talking about people not having creativity in the way that they either read themselves or people in their life. And it's like... Not you having 12 <laughs> Trulies. It's like, she does that every weekend, Karen. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. It's just, I've, I've had it. I've had it with lack of creative dialogue. I've had it with lack of like creative owning, like any type of like linguistic ability that we have. We just are robots of each other. We copy each other. You guys do it. I do it. Pack it up to us, pack it up to them and delete Twitter. I'm sorry. The CEO left. The whole app should have left with it. I'm done. I'm done. Pack it up. Pack it up to the not me's. Not me packing it up to the not me's. Like, I'm done. <laughs> Who else? Who else? Wait, I was just going to say, I cannot. The day that Paul ever runs for office, someone is going to take just that little quote and blow it up. And I cannot wait. <laughs> That that is a great clip, and there is an IGTV of that. So uh, please go to my Instagram and watch. That. The polar bear is like not me floating away on this bundle of ice cap. Coca Cola. The way that I am killing the planet right now. Like, what are we saying? What are we saying? We can't. Like, I just. I'm done. Who's next? Who's next? I had a few. 
But like the one I want to go with is not light. It, it goes into theme with what we've been about the insurrection, but I kind of just want to play this audio clip because it's like funny, but I'll do this one really quick. And then I have another one after it that they'll both be really quick. Not me having more than one packet up. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm, I'm packing up this bitch Lisa I, I that so nobody much. knows, but <laughs> CNN did one of those, like one of the anchors is going around interviewing Trump supporters and asking about January 6th. And this woman, Lisa just listen. January 6th attack was not the Republicans nor Trump. It was the Democrats were behind it all. They're the ones that caused it all. Do you really believe that? I know it. And there is no way that a Republican would act that way. And there is no way that Trump had anything to do with what happened on January 6th. I think the whole... This is the most unhinged pack it up I think we've ever had. And that that somehow beats out Andrew literally laying waste, no pun intended, to Coca-Cola. Wait, so... (laughs) The best part, though, of if you, if you do go find this clip on CNN, it's like 15 other people, too, say the same shit. But as she's saying, like, it was not Donald Trump. Like, CNN's playing, like, Donald Trump, like, standing on the pla- on the stage. And then all these people running with Trump flags to the to the, um, the Capitol. It's pretty good. But, um, yeah, pack it up. But this is what's concerning is there's, like, 15, 20 people they interview on this that all say the same shit. That, like, someone said it was Antifa. Someone said it's... It was Joe Biden, like it was Barack Obama. Like these people literally think that that had nothing to do with Donald Trump when every person there had a Donald Trump flag. I think it's just these people, they, they exist. And I know we joke about them, but they really do exist. And they think that that this didn't, either it didn't happen or it was like Democrats under just in disguise because a Republican would never act such a way. Whether maybe that person wouldn't, like maybe Lisa wouldn't because she can't run. But if she could run, she might have been up those steps. We're also we're also gonna just quickly pack up Kirk's ableism. <laughs> so I'm packing up Lisa. I'm packing up everyone else, and I'm also unrelated. I don't even need to go into it. I'm. Oh my god, we're packing up the misogyny. <laughs> She's not. There's nothing wrong with her. She's just a, a woman. But uh, which could is that ableist? I'm kidding. Not me being misogynistic. Okay, to balance out the misogyny here, I want to pack up, and I don't really need to explain much about it, unrelated to Donald Trump, but I want to pack up Tristan Thompson, who has cheated on Khloe Kardashian quite again. And I kind of want to pack up Khloe Kardashian as well. So I'm just throwing them into Lisa's rant because he cheated on her again and like posted something today that he the paternity test came back and he is this other woman's baby's father and it's like the second or third time he's done this and he like brought flowers to it true his daughter today i'm like leave your daughter out of this it was just like so weird but um we need to pack up tristan thompson because he keeps doing this to Khloe kardashian and we also need to pack up Khloe kardashian for continuing to date tristan thompson and they were also at the insurrection oh my god oh my god <laughs> legal note that was not real but oh. you guys got- what's your packet up <laughs> For legal purposes, that is a satire. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I follow that. So I will not, for I will be providing a personal item. This personal item is changing the subject is not in a valid argument. If I say 
The reason why childhood obesity is a problem is because we live in a country that is full of food deserts and saying, we have the privilege of going to a superstore and you come back to me by telling me the definition of privilege as it applies to you in your specific situation, you have not won the fucking argument. You changed the subject. I got tired and I decided to disengage. I am so sick of people thinking that they've outsmarted you because they've worn you out because you're tired of trying to convince a toddler that they are not the king of the fucking world. So if you've ever found yourself in an argument and you start on topic A, and if you do not finish on topic A, not topic A, lowercase a, not topic fucking double A, you start with one, you end with one, you didn't win. If you didn't do that, you didn't fucking win the argument. You just changed the subject Everyone's sick and tired of you. And honestly, maybe this is a pack it up. Say maybe their all names. they can do Say is their pack names. it up. <sighs> <laughs> I can't. I don't even know oh this dude. <laughs> I just oh search God. it on Facebook when I'm bored. I, I, I don't want to say anything because the next thing we say might change the subject. So God. what do we do? So I don't care that Ted Cruz is a sad little blobfish that managed to walk on land and became the Zodiac Killer, which is actually pretty cool. He needs to get the fuck out of our government. This congressional chuckle fuck has a podcast because of fucking course he has a podcast. And on the December 31st episode, he said he thinks there's a chance that if the Republicans take the House in the midterms, there will be impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden. And he said, and I quote, Democrats weaponized impeachment. The more you weaponize it and turn it into a partisan cudgel, you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Look, Teddy Boy is a smart man. I'll give him that. He no doubt knows that Trump's impeachments had very valid grounds. They didn't just pull that shit out of their ass. But here, here he is saying that it was illegitimate, which Republican voters truly do believe they think that it was totally done by the democrats just to fuck with trump and just to cause a scene and make problems it wasn't but that's what they believe and yet despite saying using impeachment as a purely political weapon is bad he's also saying republicans now have to use it in revenge because it was used against them in that way or they believe it was used against them in that way. This is the Republican platform post-Trump. It's just to accuse Democrats of going low and then willfully going even lower to continue the downward spiral of American democracy, all while blaming the Democrats for making them do it in the first place. So fuck Ted Cruz. Good night. You know what's crazy? His wife said the same thing. <laughs> but like didn't. Are they still together? Yeah, I think that she can't. De- First of all, I feel like after you've married Ted Cruz and you've like you're known as someone who's seen Ted Cruz naked, I just don't <laughs> think that you can date after that. I can truly think he's no other option. That's a good point. I mean, he's making millions off of like the gun and climate lobby. So I feel like he's probably wealthy enough. He would have to have Jeff Bezos money for me to even consider 
spending more than one second in a room with him. Oh, Oh, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> I was saying that she could get a lot of money in the divorce. Uh, I meant she was staying for the money. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, Erica, our only woman here would. So, good to know. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Ted, if you find yourself single, oh my God. shoot your shot. He is the worst, though. He's got he's to go. Like, come on. Like, he, I, he, I feel like he's been around for far too long. Agreed. Like, but Lisa Barlow from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is out here funding his fucking campaign for president. Baby gorgeous. So I'm, I'm done. Goodbye, baby gorgeous. Um, <laughs> well, this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That and a very unhinged uh, segment of Pack It Up. So thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like, a rating, or a review. You can now do that on Spotify, so that'll help us find some more listeners. There's also some frauds out there who are saying that their podcast is called Unpacked, and let's unpack that. So rate us, and then we can appear higher than them, because we're not changing our name. We were here first. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you liked this episode, let us know. And if you didn't, we don't give a shit. So we will talk to you all next week. Thank you so much. Take care. (laughs) 